0: Jay Siegert here, Starting Point Podcast. We're talking science, faith, and a whole lot more. Buckle up, because it's go time. The time for debate is over. It's been settled. It's time now for action. How often have you heard that? Jay Siegert here. Thanks for joining me on today's broadcast. We're beginning a brand new two-part series entitled The Myth of Settled Science. It's going to be a great one. No doubt you've heard that phrase before and may not have known how to respond. sounds extremely intimidating. If you need help with this, you'll be very glad you're listening today. But before we get any further, Just want to remind you to please subscribe to our podcast so you can be alerted when the new ones come out. And again, we reach more and more people, especially if you're able to leave a five-star review. That would be wonderful. So what can you expect today? Well, we'll discuss the concept, this settled science concept, that we are told certain things have been settled by science. No more time for question or debate. That's already been done. In fact, they did it for us. (laughs) It's time now for action, meaning time for us to be quiet and just do what they're telling us to do. This is a huge topic. It's also a great precursor for discussing the creation versus evolution controversy. I've been teasing that unintentionally in the past. I mentioned that we will get into the creation evolution controversy. It's probably my forte. I don't want to jump into it too quick. I've mentioned it many times. I'm not trying to tease that, but I think what I will do when we're finished with the myth of settled science in these two podcasts, we will finally get into that. But covering the myth myth of settled science is going to be a great foundation for delving into looking at the idea of uh, supernatural creation versus Darwinian evolution, got three goals with this short series here. I will describe our current situation as it relates to the myth of settled science. I'll share some general principles of science, which should be really helpful no matter what you're considering in the future. And then in part two, I'm gonna cover a couple of specific issues. And we will exercise what we've learned about the myth of settled science when we're thinking through these other two issues. Definitely just hitting the highlights. It's going to be powerful stuff. Again, we've got lots of free resources on our website, thestartingpointproject.com. That's our main ministry. Uh, Over 30 streaming videos you can watch free, other videos, articles, all that kind of stuff. And there is a two-part video series entitled The Myth of Settled Science. I will be going over a lot of that here in the podcast, but if you want to see any of the visuals, Check it out on our website, thestartingpointproject.com. Now, here's an interesting thought. You'll never really know the truth about fill in the blank, about whatever. And why is that? Well, it's because you don't know everything. You might have misheard some things. You misunderstand it. You'll learn some new information. It kind of changes your thinking on something, you have to exercise some trust and faith along the way as you're hearing about certain subjects. Now, that's not a blanket statement. I'm not, I'm not saying you could never, ever, ever know the truth about anything if you're wondering if someone is still alive and they show up at your door and you're talking to them, okay, now you know the truth in that. I'm talking about other things that might be a little bit more obscure or harder to delve into directly, especially if it deals with something that happened in the past. And we'll be getting into that when we talk about the whole creation versus evolution thing. So as human beings, we tend to trust people that we like or respect. That's, you know, that's pretty natural. And we trust people who support support the view we prefer. It's called confirmation bias. So if someone is offering a defense for something that you already believe or that you want to believe... You tend to just trust them instantly because you want that to be true. And sometimes that can color your thinking a little too much. And we tend to dismiss people who promote a view that we dislike. Again, it's human nature. So we just need to be aware of that and we don't want to be too skewed by those aspects here. We need to keep those things in mind as we're thinking through anything. Here's an interesting quote from a scientist, he was a theoretical physicist, Richard Feynman. He said, quote, I would rather have questions that can't be answered than answers that can't be questioned, unquote. I thought that's very true. I I do not mind not knowing everything. I mean, no one knows everything. I used to, but now I know better. Um, Nobody knows everything. It's okay to have questions, but it's not okay to not be able to question someone's answer. And that's where we find ourselves largely today. We're told this is settled. We've done the research. In fact, we did it for you. We've already come to the conclusion. It's time for action now. We don't need to go over this anymore. We don't need to discuss it. We don't need to debate it. We don't need to hear anything from other sides. We know it's been settled. Just be quiet and do what we're telling you to do. And that's again somewhat of a premise of why I'm covering this is how do you respond when you hear things like that from any authority around you? Well, here's another interesting quote from George Orwell, the English novelist. He said, quote, The more society drifts from the truth, the more they will hate those that speak it, unquote. And that's very true. The more people really push what's what's actually true, the more that's going to bother people who aren't comfortable with that. They don't like that. They have a different narrative, and they're not, not so much interested in truth they're interested in the narrative. Oh, it's interesting related to that coming from Scripture. John 15, 18. Jesus said, If the world hates you, uh, you know that it hated me before it hated you, unquote. <laughs> So what was Jesus saying? He said, yeah, the the world might hate you, but keep in mind, they hated me first before they hated you. And think of this, Jesus, while he was on earth, and I'm sure we'll delve into this in more detail in future podcasts, but while he was here, he was perfect. He's always been perfect, but while he was here on this earth, everything he did was right and just, and people hated him. So much so, they killed him. (laughs) Well, what chance do we have? Zero. That's the bad news. We have no chance of making sure everyone likes us. But the good news is, God's not asking to make sure everyone likes us. He wants us to speak truth, and he wants us to speak it graciously. Jesus was full of grace and truth. We often have the truth thing down, and not always so gracious about it. So we should not be surprised that when we express what well, we are totally convinced is truth, that we're going to get pushback and people might even hate us for it, rather than saying, oh, you know, interesting view. I, I don't agree with that, but, you know, I'm interested in hearing what you have to say. No, they're just angry right away. Here's a quote from an unknown source. It says, quote, it's easier to fool people than to convince them they've been fooled, unquote. And that's been my experience. And even in my own life, it's probably not that hard to fool me, not because I'm overly gullible. I'll just tend to give you the the benefit of the doubt. So it's probably not too hard to fool me, but it is hard to convince people that they have been fooled, telling them, I know you've heard this before and I know you believe it, but it's actually not true because the typical response is going to be, yeah, you're right, And all the scientists are wrong. Like, I'm supposed to just trust you and believe in your philosophy that you got from some outdated, antiquated religious book that's been disproved by science. I'm supposed to just believe you and just ignore and reject what all the scientists are saying. Well, again, that's pretty intimidating. How do you respond to that? Another interesting quote from Mark Twain. He said, quote, If you don't read the newspapers, you are uninformed. If you do read them, you are misinformed, unquote. (laughs) I thought, that's pretty true. He said that a long time ago. It's probably more true today than ever. I mean, if you don't really track with what the media is telling you, whether it's television, internet, or whatever, you probably are uninformed. But if you do track with them very often, way too often, you are misinformed, Again, we're just covering some interesting background information right now as we're getting warmed up. And for many people, science is just out of reach for them. It's just maybe they're not that interested in it, they don't feel like they're smart enough to understand all of it, or they don't have time, whatever it is. So what do they need to do? They need to sit at the feet of the scientific magisterium, meaning those experts that are out there who have done all the hard work and they're telling us now the conclusion. So we just need to be good listeners and be obedient people. Okay, whatever you tell us, again, you're the smart people. Whatever you say, we'll, we'll just do it because what do we know? So again, that's kind of where we are in society. But that's okay, right? Because, I mean, scientists are unbiased. Well, we'd like to think that. Um, now, if if you are a meteorologist, that's a scientist, if you're a meteorologist, you have one goal in mind, and that is accuracy. If you say it's going to be perfectly sunny out all day tomorrow, and then tomorrow comes and it just pours out all day long, everyone will know. Everyone's going to know you were terribly wrong. And if you are consistently wrong, you're going to be out of a job. Understandably so. So there's a lot of internal pressure to be accurate, to be right. But that's not necessarily the case with many other scientists because you won't necessarily know if they're right or wrong, and there are many, many influences pushing on them. Whether it's money, politics, peer pressure, prestige, all these things play a pretty big factor in coloring what they might say going public. It they might say something that goes against what they actually saw in the laboratory, or what the data actually leads to or supports, or they pick and choose data. There's so many things that can happen. There are these influences. They are not unbiased. It's impossible to be completely unbiased. You cannot be completely unbiased. There's really nothing wrong with being biased. You should just admit, What is your bias, and always keep a check on it to make sure that you're still being honest with what you're seeing? It's not about whether you're biased or not. Everyone is. That's just human nature. You have certain beliefs, things that you believe to begin with that you use then to come to conclusions about other things you observe. I talked about that quite a bit, I think, in our first podcast a number of months ago. So, again, Bias is there, it's just how strong is it, and is it reasonable, and is it getting out of check? Now, the word science, especially biblically speaking, simply means knowledge. It does not mean wisdom. I've heard it said that wisdom comes with age, but it's not a requirement. You can just get older and not necessarily get wiser. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to properly apply knowledge. You can have tons of knowledge and facts in your head, and you're considered a smart person then. But if you can't accurately interpret and carry out those things, you lack wisdom, which means that your scientific knowledge is virtually useless at that point. And I've mentioned this one before. If you heard our series on uh, evidence for the inspiration of the Bible, especially the podcast where I covered scientific evidence for the divine inspiration of the Bible, I covered this next segment in there, but it it fits in here perfectly. People might ask you, what do you believe? Do you believe the Bible? Or do you believe science? That's an awkward question for many Christians to address. Why? Well, if they say they believe the Bible, the skeptic might say, you know what? I could have sworn I saw you on your cell phone earlier today, but oh, that's right. You don't believe in science that made that cell phone. So then you say, well, no, I, I believe in science. Well, if you say you believe in science, that implies you don't believe the Bible. But if you don't believe the Bible, you can't be a Christian. So again, an awkward question. Why is it awkward? It's awkward because there is a hidden assumption here. The assumption is that science has disproved the Bible. If that were true, then you have to choose between the two. You cannot believe in both. But that is a hidden assumption, and it is a false assumption. Science has not disproved the Bible. In fact, the more we look at science, the more it backs up what the Bible has been saying all along. In fact, most major areas of science we have today were founded by Bible-believing Christians. It was birthed out of the Christian community. I gave these examples before. We have antiseptic surgery, bacteriology, calculus, chemistry, computer science, electronics, electrodynamics, electromagnetics, fluid mechanics, galactic astronomy, gas dynamics, genetics, hydraulics, hydrostatics, oceanography, optical mineralogy, paleontology, pathology, physical astronomy, stratigraphy, thermodynamics, thermokinetics, vertebrate paleontology, and a scientific method, all founded by Bible-believing Christians. Again, anyone who says that no real scientist believes the Bible, they don't only not understand science, they don't even know history. This is where science came from. It was birthed out of the Christian community. But since science had its beginnings, the definition of science has been hijacked. See, when these men uh, formed these different disciplines of science and discovered, you know, and formulated different laws and all that, they had a starting point. It was just a given, of course God exists. You cannot explain things apart from a supernatural force doing a lot of these things. That was a given. It was a no-brainer for them. Yes, God is a creator, but if God is a God of order, and that's certainly what the Bible says, they expected them to see order in the natural world around them, and so they set out to study, and they started finding these orders and regularities and all that, and formulated these different areas of science and laws and things like that. It made perfect sense, so... In a sense, their definition of science was discovering explanations for the natural world around us. It was a given that God created this natural world, nature. He created it. They were trying to find out how does it operate? What did God do to get this to work and that work? And then, you know, today we have laws of gravity explain the motions of planets and things like that. That's what they were doing. They were discovering explanations for the natural world around them it's been hijacked. Here's a, let's say, a newer definition. It would be discovering natural explanations for the world around us. Now it's subtle. If you saw it written out, it went from discovering explanations for the natural world around us to discovering natural explanations for the world around us. They have limited the explanations to just natural things, things in nature, things that nature is doing itself, nothing outside of nature that would be supernatural. They are ruling that out because they don't want it there. So now everything has to have a natural explanation, not because they discovered that scientifically, they decided that philosophically. They don't even want to consider the supernatural interesting quote from Dr. Scott Todd from Kansas State University. He said, quote, even if all the data point to an intelligent designer, such an hypothesis is excluded from science because it's not naturalistic, unquote. What did he just say? Even if all the evidence points to, screams a creator, a God, an intelligent designer, we're just going to rule that out because that's And that's not a natural explanation, and we're only looking for natural explanations. So they might see all this supposed evidence, but they're going to say, no, it's not evidence because it doesn't fit our definition. Well, that's not scientific to do that, to just change definitions along the way to suit your need, to suit your narrative. It'd be like this. If you thought about your laptop and someone said, okay, I want you to write a 100-page research paper on the origin of your laptop. But here's the catch nowhere in your paper can you ever refer to human beings men, women, scientists, engineers, programmers none of that. You cannot talk about people doing anything, but you have to explain how the laptop got there. Well, you'd come up with some pretty crazy stories as to how the lap got, lap, laptop got there if you can't talk about anyone purposely doing something with using any intelligence to construct it. Well, that's where many of our science textbooks are today, trying to explain things like the origin of the universe and the origin of life apart from purpose, apart from design, apart from intelligence. Not because that's a scientific conclusion, that's just they don't want those things, so everything has to be natural. Well, if everything is natural and everything is nature, how did nature get here before it could even do anything? You know How did it get itself here? Nature couldn't have brought nature here because we're trying to explain nature. Where did it come from? And again, I did a whole series on the origin of the universe. So go back and hear that if you haven't heard that series yet. Here's another interesting quote from Richard Lewontin. He's a geneticist, um, evolutionist. Very interesting quote. This quote is just a little bit longer. So I'm going to do the quote-unquote thing so you know exactly when he's speaking. But this is very telling. He said, quote, Our willingness to accept scientific claims that are against common sense is the key to an understanding of the real struggle between science and the supernatural. We take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories, because we have a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism. It is not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world, but on the contrary, that we are forced by our a priori adherence to material causes. No matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated, moreover, that materialism is an absolute, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door, unquote. All right, a lot there. What is he saying? He's saying they are limiting themselves to just natural things because they have to. They have a prior commitment to what he was calling materialism. Materialism in this sense is not wanting to buy lots of stuff. Materialism is limiting yourself to just material, natural causes. No intelligence, no purpose, no supernatural. He admits they have a prior commitment to that, no matter how counterintuitive that is, no matter how crazy that might seem, because... They are absolutely committed to that, and they will not allow, as he said, a divine foot in the door. God isn't getting his little toe in here. We're not letting him have any part of anything whatsoever. They have decided that philosophically, and that's largely how science is driven today. And we'll talk about this in just a second, but we're not talking about science that makes cell phones. We're talking about the science that tells us and informs us, supposedly, about what happened in the past when we didn't see it, the origin of the universe and things like that. I'll get to that in just a second. Another interesting thing. People will say, yeah, but science says such and such. Guess what? Science says nothing. No, and I mean nothing. Science doesn't say anything. Scientists say stuff. They look at different data and all that. They come up with conclusions and then they tell us stuff. So science never says anything. The scientists Interpret things and they tell us their conclusions and here's an important point And I will talk about this a lot more when we jump into the creation versus evolution controversy After we finish this short series There are two types of science and this is going to clear up a whole lot of stuff And I will repeat this when we do the creation evolution controversy. It's so big There are two types of science and once you understand this It takes a lot of the intimidation away from the creation versus evolution controversy. Two types of science, observational science and historical science. Observational science, sometimes we call it operational science. Observational science deals with things that we typically do in a laboratory. We can do it right there in front of us. We make cell phones, fast computers, we find cures for diseases. It's great stuff. Creationists and evolutionists are not debating operational or observational science. But too often, the evolutionists or the skeptical say, you creationists, you Christians, you guys reject science. You just believe the Bible. No, that's not true at all. Uh, Again, science was largely birthed out of the Christian community. So if you say you do not believe in evolution, you are not rejecting cell phone technology. It has nothing to do with that. That's observational science. The other type of science is called historical science. And that deals with events that happen in the unobserved past, like a supposed Big Bang 13.8 billion years ago. Guess what? No one was around to see that. They cannot reproduce that in a laboratory and they can't test it directly. But guess what else? The same thing applies for the six-day creation account. Nobody was around to see that happen. We certainly can't reproduce that in a laboratory, and we can't test it directly because that happened once in the past. So both of those views, Big Bang and evolution or six-day creation, they fall into the category of what's known as historical science. Now, there's nothing wrong with historical science. It's just very different. It involves a lot of guesses and assumptions regarding things that happened when we were not around to see it. And different scientists have different guesses and assumptions based on their bias, based on their starting point, based on their philosophy. (laughs) And we'll get into that a lot more when we do creation versus evolution. Another myth about science is that it is black and white. You know, it it just is what it is. Nothing you can do about it. So scientists, they go into a laboratory, they do some experiments, and they come out and they say... (laughs) Sorry, this, this is what it is. Nothing we can do about that. Um, for certain categories, that's definitely true. But for a lot of categories, that is not true at all. Science is very colorful and it has a lot of different potential interpretations based on people's starting points, their biases and all that. There's an awful lot behind that. Next thing I want to say are the times when science can be used as a club to kind of bully you into submission to doing whatever it is they want you to do. They can use science that way in a very intimidating manner. And I'm going to go over a number of examples very quickly here. We're going to talk about how it can be overly technical. You can do elephant hurling, appeal to authority, shaming, eliminate discussion, consensus science, academic censorship, the doggy head tilt, and then misleading headlines. Cover those very quickly. These are all different ways that it can be used to intimidate people and to get them to just do something because they don't know how to respond back. Start out looking at the example of when things are overly technical. Now, sometimes when you're hearing something, the other person purposely gets overly technical with what they're sharing, knowing you're, you're not going to track with it. It's not your area. You don't understand what they're saying. So how can you possibly argue back when you don't even understand what their point is? And many times they're doing that on purpose. Not always. Sometimes people just aren't the best at explaining things. That happens. But other times they're doing it on purpose so that you cannot enter the discussion with them. And it can be very intimidating because what they're sharing is so technical and deep. It's got to be right because they're kind of an expert and they're they're getting technical. So you yourself must be wrong because you can't address what they're saying. That's being overly technical. Second example elephant hurling. This is when people throw out these large vacuous statements with no real substance behind them. Like, evolution is an absolute fact. Uh, All scientists believe it and it's proven by evidence from every area of science. Okay, those are very large statements with absolutely no specifics backing them up. If someone says those and then they go into the details, that's fine. But too often, they just stop there. They make those statements, and that's supposed to be it. End of discussion. They've just proven their point. They haven't. They're using elephant hurling, where they're just throwing out these big, vacuous statements. So if, if you hear those, say, okay, uh, uh, interesting. Could you give me some details behind that? You say, all scientists believe it. Is that really true, that all scientists believe it? And it's backed up by evidence from every area of science. Can you give me some examples from you know various areas? Be very, very, very specific. We'll get into that when we discuss creation evolution. Another example of how science can be used as a club, the appeal to authority. Well, this concept is true because these guys are world's leading authorities in this area. Well, guess what? They might be world's leading authorities in that area, but that doesn't mean that everything they say is true there has to be evidence to back it up. You can't just appeal to authority while well, they're an authority, so we're done. Whatever they say goes. Another way science is used as a club, shaming. If you don't believe what we're saying and do what we're asking you to do, you obviously are ignorant, you don't know anything about science, and you don't care that other people are dying because of you're not doing what we're telling you to do. That can be very powerful. We've seen that in many areas. I will discuss an example in the next episode. It's kind of an interesting one. But the whole shaming thing. We don't like to be shamed. We don't want to be the only one who's causing problems. Everyone else, like sheep, are just following this. It doesn't make sense to us, but we better do it or we're bad people. Another example called eliminate discussion. Shut it down. Settled science. The debate is over. That's cancel culture. You dare say anything and they shut you down. They stop the discussion. They can't afford to have a discussion. So they tell you there's no need for a discussion because that's already happened. We've already come to the right conclusion. You're obviously ignorant. You don't even know these things. So they won't even let you be part of the discussion. Another example called consensus science. Well, this thing that we're telling you must be true because most scientists believe it. Well, again, it may be true that most scientists believe something, but that doesn't make it right. That's called consensus science. Secular scientists hate that concept. They say that's not how science works. It takes evidence, and oftentimes in history, it's taken one person or one piece of evidence to overturn something that was believed for years and years and years and years. We don't get together and vote. Like, do we have enough votes here? Okay, this is now true. No, that's not how science works at all. Consensus science is terrible science. In fact, it's not even science. Another example, academic censorship. This is where um, maybe some publication will say, well, uh, we won't publish your research because you're not real scientists. Oh, why, why are we not real scientists? Because you don't publish in our journals. Oh, why can't we publish in your journals? Because you're not real scientists. Why are we not real scientists? Because you don't publish in our journals and round and round. That literally happens. They often won't publish something because they don't like who the people are. It has nothing to do with the data and the claims they're making in their research. They don't like the fact that you're a creationist or you're a Christian or whatever it is. So they're just not going to publish your stuff. And then they're going to turn around and claim that you're not a real scientist because you're not publishing in their journals. (laughs) There are many examples of those. One more, the way science is used as a club. Doggy head tilt. This is where you hear something and it kind of makes you tilt your head like, what? Really? And as an example, the claim will be made, creation theory is not science because it's not testable. And if something cannot be tested, it it really doesn't qualify as science. So they say creation theory is not science because it's not testable. Then they will turn around and say, we've tested creation theory and proven it to be false. Oh, wait a minute. You can't have it both ways. You can't claim it's not testable and therefore not scientific and then tell us you tested it and proven it false. So it's one of those things that makes you tilt your head if you're really using critical thinking and paying attention to what you're hearing. The last example, something called misleading headlines. This is where a statement is made in a headline. And... Let me give you an example. Just make something up. Whether you're seeing it in an internet article, on the television, in some journal, or whatever it is. Let's say they come out with a headline of an article and it says, Recent Discovery Proves Darwinian Ape-to-Man Evolution. So that's your headline. Recent Discovery Proves Darwinian Ape-to-Man Evolution. You're thinking, oh, wow. The majority of people will see that headline, and they'll think, ugh, just more further evidence of evolution. When are those silly creationists going to give up their belief in the Bible and come over to the science side? Wait a minute. They, they didn't learn anything new. They read a headline. They didn't read the article at all. They won't. They're busy. They just see the headline, and they move on. That's all they needed was a headline. Some people will actually start reading the article, and it'll start out with, in 1841, so-and-so, and they're like, oh, I don't have time for this. I just wanted to know, what did they discover last week? And they walk off, and they don't actually read the article. Some people will read all the way through the article, but their head's spinning. They're thinking of all these things they need to do, so they're reading it, but they're not really paying attention, and then they finish it, and they move on, and they don't realize they didn't really actually read it. Their eyes were moving and stuff, but they didn't even think about what they were reading. A few others will read through the whole thing, they'll get to the end, and they'll say, wait a minute, there's, there's nothing in this article that backs up the headline. In fact, they conclude by saying, many skeptics, however, remain skeptical, or many scientists remain skeptical. So there is nothing in the article that backed up the headline, and then they admit that a lot of scientists are still skeptical about the whole thing. But you know what? It doesn't matter. The headline went out. That's all they needed. They needed a headline out there that the majority of people would see and read. And now the majority of people know they've discovered they've more evidence, just proven this whole evolution thing. Why would anyone question it? I'm a smart person. I certainly wouldn't question because no one else does. At least the smart people don't. And I want to be considered among the smart people. So everyone believes in evolution because everyone believes in evolution. But what about the evidence? Again, we'll get to that in... Uh, Podcast coming up very shortly here. I've got a few other things that I want to cover, but I'm going to save them for the beginning of the next episode. So we will cover those at the beginning of the next episode. And then we will also look at two very specific examples of how we could apply some of the things that I just covered here with very specific topics that you will all be very familiar with. And you'll probably look at these topics a little differently having gone through some of these things related to what science really is, how it works, and the whole myth of settled science. So we covered a lot. I gave you a basic understanding of how science can be misused. Again, I'm not against science. I love science. And you'll see that the more that I talk. I'm not bashing science whatsoever. I'm just saying we have to understand it better, know there are different types of science, know how it can be misused, and continue to use our critical thinking skills. So what's next? The Myth of Settled Science, Part 2. We'll look at some real-life examples, continue to think through things very, very rationally without getting overly sensational. Make sure you tell a friend about this. Again, please subscribe. Again, if you can leave a five-star review, that'd be awesome. You don't want to miss the second half of this series. Thanks for hanging in there with me. We'll see you next time. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Starting Point Podcast. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, tell a friend, and please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's the number one way to help us reach more and more people with these important and inspiring messages. To learn more about myself, Jay Siegert, and The Starting Point Project, please visit us at thestartingpointproject.com. We'll catch you next time.